Hello, and welcome to the Educators to Educators podcast. I'm Carrie Conover, and today we're going to talk about helping teachers prepare to return to the classroom. I am so excited to have Katie Wax joining me for our podcast today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her in a few minutes. Before we get to that and we get to talking about returning to the classroom, I wanted to let you all know we have so much going on at Educators Educators right now. I'm sure it's probably even a little hard to keep track of. So a couple of things that you need to know about are mark your calendar. July 16th through 18th is our free, big, huge teacher summer reboot conference. Last year, we had over 16,000 teachers register. Mark those dates in your calendar. It is going to be the biggest teacher event of the year. Also, as you all know, I recently launched Classroom to Boardroom, which is a course that helps teachers who are interested in working in the ed tech industry. You can learn more about that course at classroomtoboardroom.net. And we have a third really fun initiative going on right now called Finding Your Focus. I've been building E2E over the last, oh my gosh, almost four years. And throughout this time, I constantly get messages from people that are teachers and non-teachers about building an online business. So we are launching a beta version of our new course, Finding Your Focus. And it is for those of you who are thinking about maybe creating an online course, starting a podcast, a blog, writing an ebook, hosting webinars. My guess is that you might have many great ideas, but you don't know exactly where to start or how to build an email list or who your ideal audience is. So I've built Finding Your Focus, which is a self-paced course plus a monthly mastermind. So you work your way through a course on your own, and then I meet with you once a month to help guide you through those first steps and then getting started. A lot of the reason I've had such a success and been able to ramp up so quickly is because I am very focused. I've stayed very focused. Just in the last six months, have I branched out from E2E and started creating courses just like this. So I'm going to teach you everything I know about building an online business. So if you want to learn more about that, you can learn more at educatorstoeducators.com backslash focus. Today's guest is Katie Wax. Katie and I know each other because actually her husband, Mike, was one of my best friends in college and in our early 20s when we both lived in Chicago. And it was funny, I was thinking about Mike this morning as I was talking to my daughter about friendships with boys and girls. We were talking about she's in fourth grade and any of you that teach fourth and fifth grade, you know that those relationships often start to change in those grades and you start dealing with crushes and all of that stuff. And I was talking to my daughter about how I have had some really great male friends in my life and that it shouldn't matter somebody's gender. If you like them and you trust them and they're supportive of you and you're supportive of them, you should be friends. So Mike met and married Katie, who is our guest on the podcast today. I remember meeting Katie at my wedding. Katie, do you know that is the first time I think I ever met you was on my wedding day? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I remember you walking in and you kind of came through the line and Mike introduced me to you. And I thought, I think he's going to marry that woman one day. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a few minutes that I got to hug and meet you. But Katie, thank you so much for joining us on the E2E podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited. 
I'm excited to have you here because you have so much wisdom to share with us. Let me tell our audience a little bit about you. So Katie is a licensed clinical psychologist who founded Lincoln Park Psychology in 2020. I love a fellow female entrepreneur. Uh, She previously owned and operated a large group practice and a network of five therapeutic day schools in the Chicago suburbs. She spent most of her career in the therapeutic day school setting, working with administration, clinicians, teachers, and other professionals to improve the understanding of how mental health, personality, and a child's history can impact children's functioning in the academic environment. Wow, this is going to be a good conversation because that's super important in this pandemic we're going through. As a psychologist in her current practice, she works with all ages, and she's very drawn to working with children who exhibit acting out behaviors, teenagers with personality disorder features, and children and families navigating autism. She does consulting for organizations who are starting a mental health division and require her support and supervision uh, for therapists. And on top of all that, she's working with schools on building their toolboxes for working with children in the most effective way. Katie, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm psyched. And that bio sounds awesome when you actually read it out loud. (laughs) You are awesome. (laughs) What a powerhouse. And when we started talking about you being a guest on the podcast, gosh, there are many things we could talk about, but we landed on this topic of helping teachers prepare to return to the classroom from like a mental health and behavioral perspective, not the academic perspective, which I think we would all agree is the most important thing as students are stepping back into the classroom. We're going to break this down into three lessons. The student's experience of structure has changed. The second lesson is isolation has had a major impact on mental health. And lesson three, teachers need to take care of their own emotional needs as well. So let's start with lesson one. The student's experience of structure has changed. Katie, go ahead and talk to us. What do you what do you mean about that? Like their experience of structure has changed. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, listen, all of our experience of structure has changed, right? But if we're talking specifically about students and you think about how their lives used to consist of waking up in the morning, having breakfast, you know, possibly with their family, getting to school, spending their day, knowing what their schedule is going to look like, knowing things as simple as when snack time is, when I need to focus, when I can have a break. And they're kind of prepared for that. The school day ends and they either have extracurriculars or they go home. But this is kind of a predictable way of life, right? That's how things were beforehand, which in itself, you know, as we know, that predictability can result in, you know, reduced anxiety and and feeling like you're in control of your environment and feeling like, you know, you know what to expect, right? So that when surprises pop up, they aren't so jarring. And I think what's kind of, you know, happened now, clearly with a lot of uh, kids, but also adults, is that the, the schedules have shifted so much. So a lot of times kids wake up and although they know they'll be home and they might know what their day looks like schedule wise, the the world is a little bit theirs. They bounce between synchronous instruction, asynchronous instruction, screen breaks, lunch, free periods. And for them, a lot of that time can be really free to be completely theirs. And it's totally appropriate, right? Screen breaks and breaks and asynchronous is totally appropriate so that they can get away from the screens, but they can decide when they focus. They can decide when they don't. They can decide what assignments they want to do in what order during asynchronous time. They can decide how to spend their free time. They even decide when they're going to eat. So 
the the point of this topic and this lesson is to talk about how how to make things easier for kids now returning to a structured classroom setting where they don't have as much of that unstructured freedom as they had before. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting that's going through my mind on this is sometimes as humans, we tend to think of this situation is bad and this situation is good. So we might go, well, the unstructured was bad and the structured is good. And I think what I'm thinking is they both have pluses and minuses, right? That situation where they're making all those decisions has good things and has not so great things. And same thing with structure, right? And so maybe that's a way we could frame it as we're making that transition with our students. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the major things you'll hear me talk about probably through this whole conversation is normalizing, right? Just kind of normalizing that things are different and transitions are hard. And really it's the transition that's difficult. It's not the structure. Does that make sense? Like the structure yeah. and the unstructured just kind of becomes the norm. Like you and I were having a conversation earlier and it was like, once I'm at home and I'm pretty sedentary, that's where I stick until something pushes me out, right? And that's yeah. the same with a lot of habits, you know, until something pushes you out of that habit the habit kind of just becomes normal. So moving back into more of a structured environment, in addition to the fact that we're talking hybrid, so there will be days of structure and days that feel a little bit more free. And how can we kind of open the space to even normalize that and introduce that as a thing? Does that make sense to the kids? And some teachers have been in person all year. Yes. But many of them, that structure of their day, like for instance, my daughter, she just goes to school. She's been in school all year, but she only goes four hours a day, which is mm-hmm. a different structure. So even leading into next year for her, yes. like going back to being at school for six and a half or seven hours a day. And then those of you that have been like, where are you are, Katie and CPS, where it's been nothing for your kids. Mm-hmm. And then they might go to this hybrid or hybrid to in-person. They're all you know, going back to that normalizing things, I mean, there's going to be a shift and a new structure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it it, because like you said, it's going to change for everybody. It doesn't matter what school you're in. And even with things like, you know, let's say uh, one classroom needs to shut down for two weeks because there was an exposure, right? I mean, that in itself is a transition, even though it's temporary. So, you know, I think normalizing the experience of those transitions and just kind of increasing cognitive flexibility in kids is going to be a major component to kind of just relaxing the classroom. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm even thinking about this as a parent and I'm, I'm projecting mm-hmm. to the fall where hopefully we're mostly going back to normal. And there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are teacher parents, but We've also been in this weird, unstructured parenting and adult place. We're also going to be making this shift. Yeah. So that on top of our kids making this shift, it seems like a lot of this is about expectation setting. Yeah, it totally, it totally is. I mean, even if, now listen, okay. So a lot of what I might say when we're talking sounds like, oh my, I mean, I don't want teachers to panic, right? Or parents, like, you know, I have to do all these things. And there's all these things we already have to do as parents, right? Don't, don't teach your kid too much, but teach your kid just enough, you know, I mean, all of that stuff. And yeah. so I don't want anybody to panic and think this is a whole lot of work, right? I mean, it's just things to be keeping in mind. But things like even sharing the classroom schedule with the parents ahead of time and parents being able to talk to the kids about that, right? Mm-hmm. Looping the students into an exercise of even 
even something like group rules for the classroom, like, right, like, like group expectations, like, what are we expecting to happen now that we're in this new environment, it brings them into kind of a sense of control, you know, over their environment, too, and allows them to say, like, well, you know, when, when it's snack time, I want to do this, you know, or something like that, and have a conversation about it. So they don't just feel like, a lot of what's happened to kids right now is they just feel like the environment is acting upon them. They don't have the control. So anything we can do to be collaborative and have this kind of team mentality, even in the home as parents, like this team mentality with your kids of, you know, what's going to happen when you come home from school? What do you expect? What do you think that's going to look like? Right. Because kids are also going to be this whole new structure situation. If they're going in person and they haven't for a while, they are going to be tired. Right. And we know that tired doesn't always present as coming home and sitting in front of the TV and being calm. Sometimes it's hyperactivity, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's impulsivity. And so having an expectation kind of set for like, what do we think that's going to look like? We can be flexible with it. It doesn't have to look like that. But like, let's kind of, let's brainstorm what we think this new existence is going to feel like, you know, just to open up that conversation brings the kids into more control. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, control is really about feeling safe, right? That, that when it's interesting, you brought up, like, we feel in control until something unexpected happens. Mm -hmm. And then like, so I think what, what you're getting at too, is like, it might present itself in the classroom or at home in ways that we've never seen before or mm-hmm. it's interesting i put this quote on instagram it was from generationmindful.com which i love that company and they i just want to read this to you it, it looks like it was rebecca ean said this but she said so often children are punished for being human mm-hmm. they're not allowed to have grumpy moods bad days disrespectful tones or bad attitudes yet we as adults have them all the time None of us are perfect. We must stop holding our children to a higher standard of perfection than we can attain ourselves. Yeah. One of the things that's great about that quote too, is I don't think people understand how much that will actually decrease the adult anxiety also, not just the child's. So an example, like to give a personal example from my life, my child goes to a pod a couple days a week to do e-learning and they give like a, a report, like a one through five rating, right? Kind of on the day, just to give parents a report on like, what did it look like today? And I, I can remember getting frustrated feeling like, you know, there were days where he might get a three instead of a five or a four instead of a five. And then I think finally, I just kind of was like, well, you know what? I don't think I got any fives today. If somebody was rating me, you know, I mean, like, but I'm just, nobody's rating me. So I don't really know, you know? So I think, but I think that that didn't just like relax the relationship between he and I, as far as expectations, because we're so heightened in awareness right now, because we're we're all so anxious. Um, But it also just decreased my anxiety. Like I didn't feel like I was messing up or I needed to enforce something really intensely. It like gave me permission to lay off, which then decreased my own kind of heightened frustration, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think you can show empathy that way. It's just like my son does not want to be in band. Like he wanted to drop that class, but there was no room for him to drop it. And so basically he's stuck in this elective that he doesn't want to be in. And I'm proud of him. He's making the best of it. But like there's some days he just doesn't want to turn on the camera and participate. And I was getting emails like, hey, your son's not turning on the camera. Hey, your son... And you know what? I just finally said to him, I get it, man. 
I get that you don't want to do it. There are stuff, there's stuff I don't want to do right now either. Totally. And I just said, just please try your best to do it. On the days that you have the energy, do it. I said, but it's the least of my concerns. Like if you're going to pick that or algebra, honors algebra right now, turn the camera on for algebra. Right. <laughs> but you know, what's funny when I showed him that empathy and I gave him that space. Now he's 13. He turned it around and he's been participating more. Mm-hmm. So I think like just what you were showing, saying with your son, who's, you know, five years younger is just saying like normal back to what you said, normalizing it. That's a normal thing to feel. Yeah. It's like a lack of interest in something. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it seems like maybe you gave him a little bit of control over that situation Yep. And then they can make decisions for themselves, right? But they're, I think a lot of kids are grasping for some sort of control. And yeah. so if there's an easy way to do that, they'll take it without yeah. really knowing what the consequences of that are. So just kind of relaxing that on them um, yeah. helps them to kind of come to conclusions by themselves. And know? coming back to teaching, I mean, when yeah. you come back to school, the first time you take your kids to music or art or whatever, they're going to probably act a fool. Like, they're, you know, because... And I think bringing them back to the classroom and being instead of like, oh, you don't get the marbles in the marble jar or how dare you embarrass me in front of another teacher. Maybe we step back and say, this makes sense mm-hmm. that you guys went to art and, sh- and had a hard time. We've been in school for three hours and you're trying to remember how to be in a structure again. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. I think what that does is it also, it allows for mutual respect which, you know, kids, kids don't function well out of fear of being punished. They function much better out of wanting to do well because they respect the people around them. Does that make sense? So giving them a little bit of empathy for guys, that sounded like a really rough class time. I'm sorry that that happened. We'll talk about it later and kind of figure out how we can problem solve for next time. But I just wanted to lay out that that seemed a little bit rough. Things are, things are weird right now, you know? And I think what that does is it opens up that space for you're not bad kids because that was a tough time in a little bit more of an unstructured setting, you know? And the same thing at home when kids come home tired and they're impulsive or they're, you know, uh, they're hyperactive, you know, and, and, and because they're exhausted and maybe, maybe kind of looking at that instead of going right to, uh, a punitive action or, you know, reacting negatively to that expelling of energy, maybe finding a way to let them expel that energy in a way that makes them feel successful. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And having those healthy boundaries. I know for me, uh, my son comes home from school now and he is extra tired and, you know, I let him get away with so much from that, mm-hmm. but there's certain things he's not going to do, you know, which is totally. insult his sister or be, you know, be snarky with me. It's not like he's snarky with me and I smack him across the face. If he's snarky to me, I just check him and say, hey, you know, the language you're using and the tone you're using right now is feeling a little hurtful. So let's let's check the tone. That's usually all it takes. But I think sometimes as a teacher and a parent, they are a little bit searching for those boundaries. Back to what you're saying, it makes them feel they have healthy boundaries, but they have some control as well. Yeah. You said something about in our notes about pre-teaching flexibility and promoting success will be your best friend. Can you talk a little bit about that before we move on to lesson two? Yeah. So pre-teaching, because they've kind of a little bit forgotten what the day looks like and not only have forgotten, but when they go back, I mean, at least, you know, I mean, my son is in third grade, you know, he's not going to be moving around the school. They're going to be in one room, you know, all day. So kind of pre-teaching ahead of time, what might be coming, what might feel different. I think that 
that's a major component of just giving them those expectations of, you know, what, what they know might be coming next, you know, or even pre-teaching that this is going to be weird, you know, like, especially if you have a teacher who's teaching half the class remotely and half the class in person, and that this is a whole new ball game for the teacher, just kind of pre-teaching that like, we're all going to mess up today. And that's yep. just how it's going to go, you know, yeah. for sure. What was the next one? Sorry. The flexibility. No, that's great. The yeah. Flexibility and promoting success. Yeah. The flexibility, just, you know, the same thing, like, you know, even that, that goes along with like, we're all going to mess up today. Like just kind of having cognitive flexibility around, like, you know, you might have expectations. A lot of times when, when humans get anxious and they want control, they want things to go in a certain way. So we all have those pretty color coded schedules that say, this is the way the day is going to go. And then sometimes when we're highly anxious or, or nervous about our performance, when one of those things doesn't happen, it's hard for us to regain our footing, you know? Um, and I think you just have to be flexible and model that for the kids also, right? Well, okay, that didn't work. We'll try something else. You know, I think that's great life lessons for them anyways, but it also relaxes the classroom. Yep. And the last one was setting them up for success. You know, these kids are going to be at all different levels. I mean, I'm not a teacher, but I can tell you just from hearing some of the e-learning, the remote learning stuff, you know, some kids are getting extra tutoring at home. Some kids' parents don't have time or resources to do that, you know, so so you may be having kids in the classroom who who have different levels of what they've actually retained over the course of remote learning. So setting kids up for success and kind of noticing, like, what's something that I can do for the classroom? What's something I can offer the classroom that can promote this feeling of, like, we're awesome? You know, yep. that in itself motivates them to work hard on the stuff that's harder if they know they can be successful on the other stuff. You know, so that's that's what I mean by that. I almost don't want to go to lesson two, like this isolation has had a major impact on mental health. I almost don't want to bridge over to it because it's, it feels so heavy, but I think the key here is that we all talk about this and, and not just say, oh, it had an impact on mental health, but like, what are the practical pragmatic things that's going to help us kind of recover from what we've been through. So let's talk about the hard stuff first. What's going on with students right now? Yeah. So, you know, and listen, it's not all bad. I mean, so, you know, mental health wise, I'm not just talking about issues. There are some kids who are thriving. I mean, kids who had social anxiety or performance anxiety in front of a group, they, I mean, this is their wheelhouse, you know, and I know people like that where the kids are all of a sudden a whole different kid. And they are doing really well in school because all of that worry has kind of dissipated, right? Which is amazing. But there are a lot of students who thrive on kind of the social interaction piece. And this has been much more difficult for them. Okay, so there's some subcomponents underneath that. So I'll, I'll, in order to not bring the whole thing down to like depression land, I'll just go through really quick some like basic stuff. Is that okay? Yeah, please. Okay, so... Okay, so the anxiety and depression numbers are are going up, right, in, in kids. And and in my opinion, a lot of that has to do with lack of social interaction. I'll explain what I mean by social interaction, because I think a lot of people think that social interaction is recess and goofing off at lunch, which they're not going to necessarily be able to do. But what I mean is I mean a sense of, like, community, right, a sense mm-hmm. of belonging, a sense of, like, togetherness in a big group. So as humans... Much of our identities are formed through feedback from other people and from our environment. So, for example, 
as we develop friendships or lose relationships or we have conflict with people, our sense of self develops from those things that we learn as we navigate them, right? So if a child makes a joke or does something silly and then friends giggle, this communicates to the child, I'm really funny, right? Mm-hmm. So, and when a friend is sad and we're able to help them, that communicates to the child like, oh, I'm, I'm a supportive person, right? These are like these kind of subliminal type messages we get from our interactions with people, right? Without this kind of validation of who we are or challenging who we are, kids can, and adults for that matter, can experience kind of confusion over their identities, right? That can be really unsettling, especially yeah. at the ages of we're talking, you know, K through eight, but even in high school, just developing who you are and feeling like, well, now I'm not getting that feedback. So if, if I'm not around people and nobody's laughing, am I still funny? Does that make sense? Yeah. So that confusion can really cause some kind of anxiety and like this lack of understanding of who we are, which makes us anxious. Does that, so that's like um, one point. Yes. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of this because gosh, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't really think about it because honestly we're in survival mode. Right. And the same, yeah. the same thing with adults, I've had moments where I'm like, who am I in this new life? Like yeah. I, you know, like I'm not really socializing that much at all. And I'm kind of just existing. I, I know for me, one thing I feel extremely grateful for is I had made this big shift of leaving my corporate job where I was traveling and with people all the time and had shifted into building E2E where I was spending a lot of time by myself. And so I had built in tools to give me that stimulation and help me find my identity. I was telling you, I joined that tennis team, like I was doing these other things. And I see, like, I feel grateful that I was on that journey before COVID hit because I watched my husband go through it with the rest of the world. Like, and he all of a sudden went from going to an office every day, face to face, going to baseball practice, coaching, all these things to like only having us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, I see what you're saying. And again, adults are going through this in their own homes with the kids that you are going to be teaching. Like their parents have also gone through that. I yes. think that almost in some ways makes it harder. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, I think, you know, if we get to the the third lesson, that's going to be a lot about like checking yourself, right? Yeah. And kind of like, where are you at? Like you, as an adult, you were able to identify, I need something yeah, and then go and find it. You yeah. went and you found your tennis group, right? Yeah. I mean, as kids, that is much harder. And if way parents harder. haven't had time or resources to kind of direct that in a way, and which is no fault of their own, right? This is, I mean, this is a mess. Then, you know, then, then, then kids are kind of floundering, right? In addition to being, you know, out of practice, deciding which group to associate with, yes, right? Defending against bullying, asking for help from an adult in a difficult situation, yeah. right? Managing your conflict, not taking things personally. All of these are skills that are built over time through those experiences, and, and you and I have had those experiences. We've, we've got it, right? We pretty much get it. We may need yeah. to relearn some things, but we can be active and conscious about finding what it is that we need. And for the kids right now, their whole job in school is to be figuring that out. I was going to bring that up in lesson one, but I think one of the things we have to remember as educators is kids are trying to refigure out the social 
circles. Like I was joking with Jake when he was going back to school. I'm like, you've literally grown six inches and look like a different person. Like from the last time you were at school. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's a whole other layer there of kids haven't seen some of them for, you know, what is it? A full 12 a year Mm -hmm. and coming back to the classroom, who's changed, who's who cut their hair, who got glasses, who got braces. Like there's, especially like the, I think the middle grades, like three to eight, there's going to be a lot of like need for time for those kids to just kind of readjust and figure each other out again. Yeah, no, it's totally true. And I mean, I think paying attention to that in the classroom, as far as, you know, a student, for example, student might use sarcasm as a communication tool, but another student is totally out of practice with how to process sarcasm and not take it personally. Right. So kind of watching those interactions, smaller group work might be more comfortable. Now I know that, you know, we're doing social distancing and all of that stuff, but like smaller group work might be more comfortable to students at the beginning. You know, they might need a little bit more extra SEL teaching on the topic of friendships. Again, setting expectations for how we treat each other in the classroom, you know, that type of stuff, helping a kid advocate for a need instead of just um, assuming what the need is, you know, those are going to be things that, you know, are going to help teachers actually, because they're going to create an environment that's more conducive to learning if the kids feel like somebody understands what the deficits are right now, socially, Yeah, you know, I think if I was heading back into the classroom right now, I think I would kind of categorize it at the beginning in two ways, like most of the class is going to just need a lot of like SEL and kind of refresh, almost like it's the beginning of the school year, just really making sure going through routines, creating that safe environment, all those things we know how to do as a teacher. Mm -hmm. I think that I would kind of have that in my mind. And then there's going to be this layer of students that have had major trauma, Mm -hmm. major safety and basic needs not being met. I know you brought that up. And so as a teacher, I think I would start by categorizing it there. Like, who do I need? What red flags? What kids have really, really had some type of trauma? And how can I help them as soon as possible? And then everything else, I think kids are pretty resilient. I actually think kids are going to get back to this faster than maybe some people are giving them credit for, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so can we talk a little bit about that trauma and, and yes. how as a teacher we should be, what we should be watching out for? Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. So the trauma piece is a whole other topic in itself, right? There, um, students, a, a lot of students were contained in homes that did not feel safe, right? So these are homes that have domestic abuse, living in violent neighborhoods, food insecurity, right? Substance abuse in the home, um, homelessness or threatened homelessness, right? Um, any type of abuse, there's there's been an increase in gang involvement, right? There's also been um, loss because of COVID and other reasons, right? So this list could go on and on and on, right? I think that kind of getting a gauge on, uh, you know, the, the problem the problem with a lot of the CPS teachers, at least right now, is that they haven't actually seen any of their class in person yet. Yeah. So there's no pre and post. Does that make sense? Like yes. you don't really have like a pre idea of how this student behaved beforehand. Um, I think that if you if you notice a child who seems to be exhibiting any signs of trauma, reaching out to your administration, seeking help from a school counselor, but keeping in mind that, you know, basic needs, if basic needs have not been met in the home, that in itself can be trauma. Safety is a basic need, right? Food is a basic need. And for some of these kids, school was their safe space. School was their community and they lost that, 
when schools closed, right? So it's going to take a while to get reacclimated to feeling safe at school. It's not like a big, phew, like I am back in my safe space and I'm feeling <laughs> great. Like that is not how this is going to go, you know? Yeah. So being around a lot of kids, having trauma responses to things, you can notice that sometimes in, you know, um, kids having hypervigilance, reactions to things, darting eyes around the classroom, not wanting anybody behind them, those types of things, you know, anything that, that anything you can do to create a space in the classroom that feels like it's safe. And a lot of those things we've already gone over, that's what that does, right? Being flexible, pre-teaching the expectations, bringing them into setting group rules so that they feel some control over the environment, you know, that type of stuff. Keep that in mind as you kind of create that environment in your classroom and just noticing little things. For example, some kids don't want to go to the bathroom by themselves because mm. it's down the hall and they haven't had to go down the hall in a while and go yeah. into this bathroom where there might be another student. You know what I mean? So, yes. so those types of reactions, just kind of noticing like, how can I be flexible in what are typically my classroom rules here so that I can create a space where people can learn math, not be afraid of who's sitting behind them. I want to re-emphasize this. It is not a teacher's job to save Correct. the students in their class. And I think in my heart, this is a big reason why teachers are so burnt out before COVID is that, and I experienced it too, like going, when I was first teaching, I would go home and think about some of these kids all weekend and worry about them. And I learned over time, like that is, I have to have a healthy mental boundary. Like there's only so much you can do as a teacher and your job, what you're being paid to do is to show up in your classroom, create a healthy, safe environment and teach. And to your point, Katie, like that is the basis of like, you're not going to be able to eliminate every trauma from every kid, no. but you can create a safe classroom that when they're there for those seven or eight hours or whatever, that's your job. Mm -hmm. And you can't fix everything going on in kids home, but you can create a safe environment that you are showing up to every day with your emotional needs met. We talked about this in the stress and teaching podcast episode that was just released is like, it's better to show up you as a teacher with your emotional needs met and feeling good and teaching a great lesson versus showing up emotionally drained, exhausted, and teaching this superior, over-the-top lesson. Like the kids need a, a mentally healthy, stable teacher over a teacher who's exhausted but has everything planned to the T. So that brings us into lesson three. I get very passionate about that, Katie. I mean, I'm sure as a psychologist, same thing with you. Like you can't save and fix every person's traumas. Like that's not your job, right? Correct. And I feel like teachers just get put in this place and they put themselves in the place where they feel the pressure to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you're, you're kind of making a nice segue into what we were, you know, our next, if we want to move that direction, yes, you know, kind of like taking care of your own needs as an adult. One thing, just to piggyback on what you were saying, one of the things I think is important to think about in the classroom is what am I doing? Not what am I not doing? Does that make sense? Like yeah. when we harp on what am I not doing for this kid or for the classroom? It's not like you shouldn't ask yourself that, right? I mean, we always want to be creative. We always want to think outside the box. We want to push ourselves. But I think in times where we're feeling compassion fatigue, it's super important to think about what are you doing 
what space are you creating? How did you make that day safe or helpful or supportive? Or who did you impact, right? That's going to give you that kind of feeling like you're actually in your space. This is why you became a teacher, yeah. right? And then it, it, it reinforces that for you, which, which teachers haven't had in a while, right? And like the smallest thing that you do, like looking a child in the eyes and smiling at them mm-hmm. and making them feel seen for five seconds Like those are things that you are doing that I remember being a little kid. Like I was a, my mom was a single mom to three kids and we had a lot. I mean, I was experiencing trauma. Mm -hmm. I wasn't feeling that safety at times. And I remember, I still remember certain teachers taking a moment to just look at me and smile or come back and put their hand on my back at my desk. And, you know, just like while I was reading or like those little things make a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. Huge difference. Especially right now, kids feel very invisible, super invisible. So to make them feel visible, not just in person, but on e-learning, you know, I mean, to make just, just a couple kids a day, pick a few, these are the ones I'm going to make visible today, you know, and that can go a long way. And it, it really doesn't take much of your time. Like you said, right. It's just things you would normally do. We're just doing it more consciously. Yeah. So Teachers and parents have struggled with this. So how can we as teachers and educators make sure we're kind of getting ourselves back to a place of, of getting our own emotional needs met? So I think, you know, one of the things to, to that, that I always think about in, in this particular case has to do with not just how our, you know, parents and teachers lives were completely turned upside down also, but there's an element of kind of grief. I think that people don't talk about. I think a lot of times people think that grief and loss just comes from like the death of a loved one, which a lot of people have experienced right now. Right. Um, But, but grief and loss is, it can be for tons of reasons, you know, um, loss of what the expectations were, loss of your identity as a teacher, loss of that connection with other people or kids, you know, all of those things, loss of a sense of community, those types of things can be really intense, you know? And sometimes we can respond to that, well, and to ourselves, right? Not even just to people and and things, but to ourselves with like criticism, frustration, irritability, or sometimes total apathy. We just don't care about anything, right? Mm -hmm. It's really important to recognize what your needs are and be sure that they are also being met, right? It's the oxygen mask on first before helping those who are sitting next to you. You know, part of this comes with clearly a PSA. If you need help and there's too much dysfunction, please go talk to a professional, right? It can literally be a lifesaver, right? You know, I think, I think most teachers become teachers out of love, a love for teaching, a love for kids, you know, a love of community. They want to affect the world in a positive way, right? I've never heard of teacher not Like a love, a lot of times I think people don't mention this about the love for teaching. So I just want to add this. It's like the love for the actual job, the love of coming up with lessons Mm -hmm. and units and then delivering on those. Like that is a, and I want to draw this back to what you said, Katie. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like- No, that's okay saying at the beginning about kids that, oh, I tell a funny joke and the kids laugh. That tells me I'm funny. Mm-hmm. Well, look what's happened to teachers. Like yes. their, I, you said their identity has changed. Well, this goes back to that. Like I plan this amazing lesson. I know the kids are going to love it. They don't have that same 
feedback that helps them get their identity as a teacher Mm -hmm. that they were getting before. Yeah, it's true. You can, you can totally experience feelings of failure, right? And because a lot of times even it's shifted to like, I'm not even educating kids. I'm just trying to get their attention. You know what I mean? Like really sometimes it feels like I'm not doing anything that I signed up to do that's in my passion. This is now just becoming, I'm just consistently checking in to be sure that somebody is still there. You know what I mean? And that, that is a shift in what your job is, right? Your identity. And then you're right. Any type of feedback from the kids, fun interactions, funny stories, like that, a lot of those things, a lot of the joy may have been taken out of this classroom job, right? And so it's okay to, to, to redefine success and goals, right? This is about expectations and, and kind of figuring out again, how we've talked about promoting success in the kids, give yourself a break, right? I mean, like this is, you know, maybe, maybe getting all A's is not going to happen this year. Maybe the goal is just that the kid doesn't hate school, right? And feels like all of a sudden they've realized that they really liked a particular book that we were reading. They may not have learned a lot of math, but what are you going to do? I mean, really, we have to redefine this a little bit into one, you know, a student's goal has focused, maybe, maybe needs to shift from a hundred percent focus on the computer screen to identify your needs and advocate for them. If you need to stand, if you need to do this, if you need to do that, right? I mean, so I think there are some amazing skills being learned right now that we're also overlooking. So finding those little successes in not just the kids, finding them in the kids makes, fulfills your identity, right? As a teacher, like, like I'm teaching these kids, these great skills, even though they might not be particularly academic, that's great, you know, but also in yourself, like what, what did I learn? What's different now? What do I feel better at? You know, and that we have to take care of ourselves almost in exactly the same way. I've been talking about taking care of the kids. You know, well, how great as a teacher is it going to be to take some of these new tech skills that you've learned and use them in a flipped classroom or use them in your centers? I mean, I think that as a person who has been through a lot of trauma and kind of worked my way through that, I am always looking at what lessons can I take. And I'm super grateful for new opportunities. I'm super grateful for the little things of normalcy that we're starting to get back. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for teachers, I I think my biggest aha moment from talking to you, Katie, is that you are soon going to get back into the classroom and feel those feelings again. It's, it's on the horizon. You're almost there. You're going to be back there physically. You're going to be able to do those fun craft projects that you love to do. You're going to be able to do that one book unit that you love to do with those interactive groups. Like it's coming. Um, and I think that is really going to fill teachers tanks back up again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think we have to give ourselves a little bit of a break because it's not just every kid is coming back in the classroom and everything's going back to normal. Now you have to shift again and learn how to teach half of your class remotely and half of your class in person. Now, I've seen it done. It's happening in those schools that I was running before, right? I've seen it done and it fully can be successful, but I understand that that shift in itself is just another transition, right? It's another thing that you're gonna have to learn. Give yourself a break, right? Be flexible with yourself. Cut yourself some slack, you know, and and do whatever works for you. Self-care, everybody talks about self-care, right? Self-care is personal, but- It is not going to happen if you don't make it happen. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just fall into your lap, right? I don't care if self-care is journaling, 
writing poetry or crying into a pillow for God's sake. I mean, I don't care, but whatever it is for you, you have to make sure that that's going to happen in your life and start to notice your patterns as you reenter, right? Mm -hmm. At what point do I start to get a little bit overwhelmed? At what point do I start to feel like I want to quit? At what point do I feel like, like, you know, is it, is it at noon every day or just on Thursdays or something like that? Start to notice your pattern of when you're going to need more and get ready for that ahead of time. I want to wrap up here talking about yeah. getting professional help. I actually, I had, a, I had talked to a therapist for, gosh, probably two years. I saw someone regularly way back in like 2005. And actually I'm still, she, my therapist moved on and she does some really cool consulting work for very large companies, but I still, if I need her, I can call her like at a drop of a hat. She will make time with me for me. And I always say like, I had, I did the work to deal with a lot of the trauma I had been through. When my brothers passed away, I called her immediately. And because I had that baseline with her and I had that relationship, she was able to really help me through those hard times. And I feel like there's still such a stigma about going to a therapist and getting that help. So I try to be honest about it. But what I want to ask you, Katie, is, you know, we talk a lot about self-care. We talk about I, on the podcast when I was talking about getting out of a mental funk, I had talked about how, how I know when it's time to call my therapist, which is less and less these days. But how do you know? when it's time to get some outside help, are there certain things that teachers right now might be experiencing? I mean, I know it's different, different for anyone, but what would you suggest for someone that's like, Oh, I don't know if it would help me or like, how do you know when it's time to call someone? Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great question. I think, I think one of the problems is trying to figure out that formula, right? Okay. Is trying to even think that there is a formula on, you know, well, I'm not at a point yet where I need therapy. I can't tell you what that point is, to be totally honest, because, yeah. because I know people who go to therapy who are like, you know, I mean, I, you would look at them and be like, what do you even talk about in there? Like, you're the happiest human in the world, you know, and they go because they're like, you know what I am, but I'm uh, feeling stunted in my personal growth. Okay. So go to therapy. Right. Yep. And then I know people who are like, you know, I got to tell you, I take everything out on my kids right now. I yell at them all the time. I'm hearing from them all the time that I am angry, that I'm the angry mom. And listen, everybody hears that, right? But but like if you really are starting to feel like I'm losing a little bit of my of my grip on some things or I've changed and I don't like how this feels, that's a great indicator, right? Sometimes you can just go just to even see if you need it. You know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just an assessment process. I think your point is really good, which is that uh, if you find somebody that you connect to and you need to find a good fit. It's not about yes. technique or anything like that. There's a major personality component, right? To this. And you have to find a good fit. If you find a good fit, that person really is kind of in your back pocket, right? Yes. So like you need them and you can just have like a little tune up, you know, and it's kind of a nice thing to have. So I wish I could give you like an actual formula of like, well, if you're experiencing these symptoms, go. But I think it's really, really personal. The the thing, the, the major thing that I would point out is don't say I'm not at that point yet. You can always go and explore it. You can always go and see what it's like. And, and, and really, like you said, that stigma of like shame for needing to go. Honestly, you should be proud of yourself. That's amazing. It is a great experience. And sometimes it is tons of fun. I mean... I, 
I still have analogies that my therapist gave me 13 years ago (laughs) that I still use in my head are tools. Basically what the biggest things for me were she helped me realize that actually some of the things I was struggling, I thought I was struggling with weren't actually those things. Yeah. They're coming from other things that I was totally unaware of. So that was amazing. And she also just filled my toolbox with these amazing tools that I wasn't given in mm-hmm. my younger years. And, and so, yeah, I think it's, I want to also point out that like, I agree a hundred percent. You've got to, if you go once and you don't like the therapist, try someone else, because yeah. I know even my own therapist, I recommended to someone and it wasn't a good fit. She's mm-hmm. completely changed my life, but that person, they didn't click. So yeah. it's kind of like trying on shoes, I guess, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> A good pair wear of heels them around the house wear them around the house first yes. before you wear them out of the house right yeah exactly no I would agree with that well I think this might be one of the longest podcast episodes we've recorded well. in a long time and I think that just shows how much we needed to talk about this topic yeah I hope I wasn't too long-winded there's oh, so no. much information to give out there you no, know that is not what I was saying at all actually <laughs> I mean I think both of us were talking equally and just really bringing to surface some of the stuff I know teachers I know because they tell me through emails and messages you know that are struggling with but Katie thank you so much I'm so glad that Mike married you and you're in my <laughs> life now that we're uh you know both kind of working in this same field of helping teachers and helping students. So tell Mike, thanks for marrying such an amazing woman. I will. I'll let him know. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and Katie, I don't think this is the last that we're going to hear from you. I look forward to looking at uh, working with you and collaborating with you in the future. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I could talk about this forever. <laughs> Me too. Well, my friends, it's now, you know, springtime. You've almost made it. But until next time, keep on teaching on.